Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. I hope you all are doing great this week. I hope service has been going really well. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for this new season coming up, uh, come, you know, spring. And it's my favorite season to eat food in because of the bounty that you get. The ability to go out and forage, you know, especially when you grow up in places like upstate New York, there is a long period of frozen tundra, especially where living in Buffalo. But um, when you start again in the spring, everything comes back to life. The snow melts, the thawing starts to happen. And it's really in April, but really in May, where uh, I started to really feel excited for ingredients. Uh, I really have enjoyed working in Buffalo the last couple of springs because of the ingredients. And also going to school in the Hudson Valley, seeing the ingredients in the area there as well. So spring is always a special time for me as a chef because I just enjoy the fact that there's so much out there in terms of being able to go forage and whatnot and i think spring is just one of those special times for me cooking creating and just thinking of dishes and whatnot so just very excited for that um i hope you all are as excited as well i'm going to be talking about more of my foraging experiences a little bit later in the episode but yeah here we are uh just wanted to say welcome to uh, the new listeners we've gotten a large number of new audience members uh in the last couple of weeks so just wanted to welcome you all to the podcast uh, for those of you who do not know, Line Cook Thoughts and Line Cook Nation is a platform for chefs to talk, uh, be heard, and just connect with each other. And this podcast is made for chefs to listen to, you know, during their prepping times, uh, maybe after a long shift, or maybe when they're just getting started in the day. Uh, basically, what I want you to, to do is to be informed and to get different viewpoints and just have something to go to every week to listen to in terms of content and food media. So I'm really excited for all the new people listening right now. Uh, thank you for joining us on this journey. There's also been a lot of new followers on Instagram. So if you don't know how Instagram works, just send us a thought with a picture and you'll get posted. Um, I've been getting a lot of thoughts and now cook pro- profiles shared to me lately. So it's definitely been um, really exciting for me. And I just really look forward to meeting all of you and hearing all of your stories that have just joined. So thank you so much for that. Just a reminder that I am trying to do an um, Anthony Bourdain episode once to commemorate him. Uh, June 8th will be a year since he passed. And I just want to make something that we put out as a collective on why we you know, just love Anthony Bourdain's work. Um, so basically, all you have to do is download the Anchor app, look up Line Cook Thoughts, and on the top right, you'll see a button for voice message. And you can just send me a voice message and I will be able to compile it all into one episode. And that's pretty much it. And on June 8th, I would like to release it. I've gotten about 10 messages so far. And really, I know a lot of you have reached out to me and saying that you're going to do it. But please get them in by May 29th so that I have time to get it all together. The earlier, the better for me uh, because the, it's, I'm doing it first come, first serve. So you'll be at the beginning of the episode. Obviously, if you send it to me in the beginning of when I'm starting to ask you for this. So if you keep sending them to me now, you'll be in there sooner than someone who sends it like May 28th and whatnot. But I really, um, I really look forward to sharing this with you all. And I really look forward to just putting this out there. You know, Anthony Bourdain, for a lot of us, was just someone who spoke to us really well. He was someone who connected with chefs on a deep level. And I just really look forward to putting this episode out there. I know I've said it on a couple of podcasts now, but just reiterating that that deadline is coming in less than a month. Time flies, especially when you work in kitchens. And I just really hope that you all get to me what you want to say about Anthony Bourdain so that the world can hear it and so that people can kind of see what the Lion Cook Nation's all about. And I really hope it gets some traction and a lot of people hear it in the end. Uh, just to talk about what's going to be talked about on today's podcast, uh, the first content piece is going to be from at Don LaRosa. And basically, it is about staging, uh, how to not be taking advantage of a stage, what you should be doing at a stage. I figured I'd share some of my own staging experiences as well. So I'm going to get into that, uh, into some really like, deep conversation about my experience with stages and what I think you should bring, how I think you should present yourself, what I think you should look for. I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, the next topic is going to be music playing in the kitchen. And this was shared to me by Jessa Hardy 333 And basically, I did a little bit of research online, and I have my own opinion on what music affects, like how it affects me in the kitchen. So I'm going to be sharing that as well. Um, I did some scholarly journal research and actually found some pretty interesting things that I didn't actually think about. So I'm very excited to be sharing that with you. Uh, 
after that, I want to kind of get into the foraging aspect of things. So I want to start talking about my time foraging. Uh, I talked about it with Chef K-Work on a podcast that, wow, we already did two months ago. And I just wanted to share my first time foraging and kind of my favorite ingredients during the spring. And really, I would love to hear what you all like about foraging. I'm going to share a sticker later on my Instagram today on, you know, asking what your favorite foraged ingredient is. So I really hope to get some interesting and, you know, interesting answers. So very excited for that. Everything going to be in the episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, this we're on episode 27 and in the next 25 episodes, I really hope to be sharing with you a lot of great interviews and whatnot. Um, I will be announcing my guests soon. I just, I don't announce a guest until I've done podcasting with them in case schedules change. So that's why you haven't really seen a formal schedule for May, but you will be getting one soon. And I'm just very excited and looking forward to the guests you will be hearing out the gate in the next month or two. Uh, finally, I just want to get y'all's opinion on breakfast. So next podcast, I think I want to start talking about breakfast. I think breakfast is an underappreciated meal in the day. There's nothing I love better than going to like a brunch or somewhere like a breakfast, like a coffee shop and just getting a really good cooked omelet or a really nice composed breakfast dish. And I really think that goes unnoticed, especially with cooks when you're working late nights and you often miss that time of the day. Uh, but when you do have your days off, do you go out to breakfast? What do you look for? What are your thoughts on breakfast? What are your thoughts on the perfect breakfast for you? I personally don't like pancakes or waffles. I think dessert for breakfast is not my cup. It's not my cup of tea, and I really just don't like it. I think having a pancake or a waffle with syrup is just a waste when you could have hash and, you know, really good cooked eggs and whatnot. So I really just enjoy all of that type of stuff, the more savory side of breakfast, and really... I honestly just don't like pancakes and waffles. I know that's a very unpopular opinion, and I know I'll probably get a lot of heat for saying that, but I would love to know what you all think are good breakfasts, and maybe what are some quote-unquote chef breakfasts you've made in the past. Uh, sometimes when I get a lot of like leftover ingredients or take you know take out or a lot of leftover stuff for breakfast, I'll throw it in, like quinoas and stuff like that, that I maybe have cooked at work or cooked at home, and I bring home, and I just throw that into my meal the next day for breakfast. Um, an early riser, so I get to have breakfast a lot. So I really just want to know your thoughts. And then finally, next week's episode, I want to know your go-to breakfast sandwich spot. Where you like to go to breakfast the most. Where you go right before work, maybe. You know, I always set up Starbucks um, just because they've been consistent with their breakfast sandwiches. I'll be sharing my, obviously, my favorite breakfast sandwich from them. But yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on breakfast. And I just want to have an episode dedicated to it because... Breakfast has been something that's been brought up in the past on uh, what topics I should be talking about. And I, as I thought about it, I don't think it should just be a segment. I think it should be a whole episode revolved around breakfast and different topics and themes and whatnot. And maybe what people eat in other countries. I'm going to do a little bit of research with the followers that are following me online Cook Thoughts because there's more than just people from America. So I'm really excited to just kind of get out there and do this whole breakfast inspired episode. As you can see, I'm very passionate about the meal. Uh, any uh, last thoughts for me before we get into the episode? I would just say that thank you so much for the support um, and the reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're right now sitting at five stars. It's been great. Um, and just thank you for following on Instagram and really supporting this this podcast, the Instagram page and everything. I, was, I, I just keep getting these messages from y'all thanking me and whatnot, but it's really just thank you. Like Without you all supporting me and putting your time and effort in, I wouldn't be able to do this. Without you listening and tuning in every week, I wouldn't be able to you know, upload another episode because no one will want to listen to it. Uh, when I upload episodes, I get to see how many plays I get you know, in real time. And it's always great on a Wednesday or a Sunday to put an episode out and then wake up the next morning and knowing that 50 or 60 people already have heard the episode I put out. It's just a really cool experience for me to know that people are listening to what I want what I want to talk about and what I want to hear. And that's really important to me as someone who creates content for y'all. Uh, I really think I have a duty to make really good content for chefs and cooks and anyone else in the food industry. And I really am happy that you all are enjoying what I've been putting out. So thank you so much. And let's get into this episode. All right, so I want to get into my conversation about staging because I have a lot to talk about with staging and my experiences with staging and stories and whatnot. So I guess I'll start with my own stories. 
So the very first stage I went on was at this place that has two Michelin stars in New York City. And it was a mixed experience. I'm not going to name any restaurants by name because there are positives and negatives. And I really don't want to just start, you know, bashing people and then praising people. And so I just want to give you my honest opinion without, you know, having any negative impact on any place. Uh, so basically, I did this stage. I was in my freshman year of college. It was right after I got into meats class. And I went on a stage for a two Michelin star restaurant. It was my second time in New York City. And I didn't know how to use a subway yet. Um, I don't know why, but the subway scared me. When you come from Buffalo, we don't have those up there. We just have buses and whatnot. And I always drove anyway, or my parents always drove me around. So going to New York city and, you know, think even thinking about using a subway gave me a lot of anxiety because I was like, I don't know. I don't want to go underground into this thing that's going to shoot me across the city and maybe I'll get lost and maybe I don't know where I'm going. And yeah. And I didn't want to pay for a taxi because I was really broke at the time. Uh, I was broke most of my college career. Uh, but really broke when I first started. So I was like, I'm just going to walk it. So I went from, you know, Grand Central down 40 plus blocks. Like, I'm not lying. Like, it took me two and a half hours. I got to the city about four hours early, and two and a half hours was spent walking because I didn't want to use the subway. So my first stage didn't start out so great in terms of getting there. Uh, I remember thinking, I remember looking at uh, Google Maps and being like, oh, this isn't that far. Not realizing how big blocks were in New York City, how big some blocks could be, especially when you're going between like avenues like first and second or second and third. So when I did that, I was like, wow, this is a lot. Um, but I was so excited for the stage that I really didn't get tired. I really didn't, you know, get tired out a lot. But I definitely was like, yeah, I have to learn how to use a subway. Uh, or fortunately, I do know how to use it now. So we're all good on that. So anyway, I get to the stage and basically... Um, it was cool. The kitchen was really awesome, but I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how to get into the into the kitchen. The door was it was the front door was locked, and then the side door to get in was in a very odd place. And that is my first big piece of advice: ask how to get into the kitchen, because I never really did. Some places will tell you how to get into the kitchen, but other places won't. And when you're going to a place like New York City and you have to stop somewhere. You might not know where the door is. There's a lot of different doors in New York City that you could potentially walk into for a restaurant, uh, having back doors, side doors, etc. And I think my first big piece of advice when staging is to ask where to enter the restaurant. There's nothing worse than getting there, especially early, and having to call up the chef and be just being like, hey, I'm not sure how to get into your restaurant. And it's not because you look bad, but you're so nervous already about going into the stage. It's one more thing on your mind, like, oh my God, how do I get into this restaurant? So that's like one big thing I would talk about in your emails when you're going back and forth. After, you know, you get into the stage, I would go ahead and introduce yourself to everyone. So this is something I learned uh, on my first stage is I went ahead and I introduced myself to everyone in the kitchen. And I think that's really important because you have to know who you're working with for the day. You should at least get a name, get on a name to name basis with people in the kitchen. It shows that you care and it shows that you want to be there and you want to be a part of this team. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know I would talk about my experiences first, but that's just another big piece I didn't want to let go, and I'll talk a little bit about it later. So I get to this restaurant, and I don't know how to get into the restaurant. And I don't really have a number. It was through an email, and the number was the restaurant. So I called the restaurant. No one answered. No one answered. And I waited outside for about 25 minutes until a cook who worked there ended up walking by me. And I was like, excuse me, do you work at this place? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm here for a stage, but I don't know how to get into the restaurant. And the door was like behind this alcove. And I would have never known that was the door. And it went to a basement. So that was basically my experience of going into this place and not knowing where the hell I was going. So we go into the basement and I was nervous. I, I mean, I'm a fresh CIA student. Um, my knife skills weren't as great. And I just know that I wasn't prepared to go to a two Michelin star restaurant. But I would highly suggest doing it because you learn that you have so much to learn. And so it was a very humbling experience for me. But anyway, so I get into the stage and, you know, they take me to the locker room. They fit me for a coat. Uh, I was overweight, more overweight at the time. Uh, you know, I, if you haven't been following me, I've lost a lot of weight. But at the time I was overweight and they only had chef coats up to a large. So my anxiety was shot up to a 10 because here I am fitting into this tight chef coat. I haven't even started the stage and I didn't know how to get into the restaurant. I'm fitting it into this tight chef coat and I'm just like 
wow, this is really not going how I expected it was going to go. So I'm in this like tighter fitting chef coat and I'm ready to go. So the chef, I end up meeting the chef and we go upstairs and we start prepping in this kitchen. There's two kitchens and we start prepping in like the lower level kitchen. And it was odd. The first thing I was asked to do was to separate oil and water from this bag and I have no idea how to do that, I thought, and I just tried to open the bag and slowly pour out the oil, but the water came out too, and it was a failure, and I'm not even sure how they expected me to do that. I'm not sure if it was like some weird test or whatnot, but like, it was. it's hard to explain what they actually asked me to do, but all I remember thinking is, oh my god, I can't even do the first test they're telling me, and I think it's okay to realize that you're not going to be able to do everything they ask you to preferably you should do the first task they tell you to, but I was like, I'm not sure how to do this. It was like something they were working on. It wasn't like something on the menu, but still it was just odd to be thrown into a situation like that. But I come to learn that restaurants are like really good restaurants who are able to hire really good employees, throw you into situations you might not expect. Um, I'm not sure if that was their intention or if they just wanted to see how to do this correctly, but that's basically it. So then during my stage, uh, I'm doing simple things like they're like looking at my knife cuts and they're just kind of seeing how I work in a kitchen. And I remember they asked me to cut chives. And like I said, my knife cuts weren't great. So I started cutting the chives. And I remember the chef de cuisine coming over and saying, hey, like you have to cut those thinner. So I'm starting to cut the chives thinner. And he comes over and he's like, those aren't thin enough. And I was like, uh, okay, so I like really try my hardest to cut them as thin as I possibly can, and they still aren't thin enough. And the chef comes over and he's like, "Hey, man, um, like these still are not thin enough. Like you have to go thinner." And he takes my knife and he shows me how thin he wants them. And I don't even know how he gets them this thin. Uh, the the knife cuts he did were precise. They were so accurate. There were no like chives that were bigger than one another. They were uniform like soldiers every time he cut. And I was just like blown away. I was like, holy crap, I, what am I doing here? Um, and long story short, I couldn't cut the chives as thin as he could. I couldn't get those perfect little halos that he could. And they ended up being used for family meal. And I think it's important to gauge your, your skill level when you're going into these stages. And I, you know, I think a lot of people worry about, you know, their knife cuts have to be perfect and whatnot. And I think, it's important to practice before you go on a stage, but you also have to realize that you're not as good as these people who have been working at this place for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. You know, your knife cuts are where they are and you're coming here to learn. And I think a big part of being a stage is showing you, you have the good attitude and showing that you have the ability to go ahead and learn and be humble enough to be taught by other people. So of course I was like, all right, yeah, like I apologize. You know, I'm trying my best. Um, but yeah, you know, it was just a difficult thing to do because I was really hoping to get into this. This is at a point in my culinary school career where I just heard about Michelin and this is what I needed to do. I needed to get into a two or three star Michelin star kitchen if I was going to be anywhere in this industry anytime soon. So after the chive scenario, it goes pretty simple and it's getting to about, let's say one o'clock. I got there at 1030 and it's one o'clock. Now, this is my first time going to the city by myself, my second time in the city in total. And when I was looking on Amtrak's train sites, it said the last train leaves the city at 1030 back to Poughkeepsie where I was going to school. And I thought that was it. I mean, and it turns out it wasn't. There were a lot more trains through MTA, but I didn't even know what MTA was because I took an Amtrak train down or I took an MTA tra train down that was through Amtrak. So I forget exactly how I got there, but I was under the impression that I had to leave at 1045. So I told the chef this, the sous chef, and she pulled me into the walk-in and she pretty much started yelling at me. And she was like, listen, we want like serious people here. We want people to take us seriously. We're a hardworking team. We're dedicated. And we don't have time for people like you to fool around and to just come here and maybe want to see the kitchen and then leave early because you don't want to work the full day. And I remember just being taken aback by this. Like here I am, this new, new kid to the city, you know, 18 years old, trying to get into this kitchen of my dreams almost and I'm just getting like ripped on by the chef because I wasn't sure of when the train left and I was just you know I mean I took I took the yelling at and I was like you know all right like this sucks but what am I gonna say and she's like if you really want to leave early and you really want to bullshit me then like you can go ahead like this she was like I take the train from the city every day the last train leaves at like 1 45 a.m 
And I was like, okay, well, I didn't know that. I'll take that train if you just show me when that leaves. And she was like, what? I was like, yeah, like I didn't know the trains left that late. I, this is my second time in the city. Uh, I haven't been here really before. I've only taken a train here once. So if you could just like show me on, like where I can go ahead and take that train, I'd be more than happy to. And she was like, oh. And she was like, well, I apologize. And I was like, I mean, that's okay. But like, I was very upset at that. I was like, how are you about to judge me when I, like, you know, like, this is my first time. Like, she obviously didn't know that. And she probably gets a lot of people coming into this kitchen that bullshit her. But I really didn't know. I really did not think I was going to be able to get out of the city after 1045. And just that simple communication showed me that, uh, like, that maybe I, that was like the first time I was like, wow, maybe I don't want to work in a Michelin kitchen. Because she was so quick to anger and she was so quick to just like starting to yell at me and starting to just, you know, degrade me in the walk-in as if I was just like not even worthy of her time because I didn't know what time a train left. And I really like that really left a sour taste in my mouth. And I really was like contemplating was like, I really was just down on myself at that point. I was like, do I even belong here on this stage? Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of what it was all about that day. And, that's kind of my that was my first impression in the Michelin kitchen and for years after I still wanted to be in a Michelin kitchen just to show how much like I really loved the idea of it but I think it's important to point out that if you ever have a stage come in and they say they have to leave it's early it might not be because they like want to get out of there early but they really have the I guess the idea that they have to get out on a certain time and I would always suggest talking to them before you start screaming at them um, but that's just my advice. You know, I'm just a humble cook who's podcasting. Anyway, the rest of the stage goes really well after that. Um, they treat me a lot. They treat me like, really well. Family meal was really special. Um, the way they cleaned the kitchen was really cool. They all just did this uniform type cleaning where they went from one side to the other as a team and even like polishing all the metal, steel, metal, everything like spotless. You know, it's a two Michelin star kitchen. Everything you would expect. Um, and, you know, that was my first stage ever. And I remember leaving. I left at around 12 o'clock. And it was really a, a special experience. And I look back on that stage fondly because the rest of my stage did go well. I was able to do some purees successfully. I was able to work with the chef a little bit on a new menu idea that he was working on. I remember Adele was playing in the background a lot because that was when, um, oh, what was it called? I forget the song she had all the time. It was 2015 era. Um, oh, hello, duh. The song Hello by Adele was playing a lot, and I like it was just fun, and there was music in the kitchen, which we'll talk about later, but my first stage went really well, and I think the reason it went really well is because I showed up with a good attitude, and I was honest when I was getting yelled at, and I was able to stick up for myself a little bit. Instead of just being like, okay, 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 I was like, you know, hey, like this is the reason why, and I think that's a big thing. If there's ever any uh, discrepancies or confrontation on a stage because of a misconception. I think it's important that you point it out. I don't think it's disrespectful to do that. And I know there's a lot of egotistical chefs out there, but I really do think that, you know, just having that communication is key. And that's what I learned on my first stage is communicating and just being able to do better research and maybe asking around a little bit more on when trains leave the city at what time. So like I said, make sure you know where to go into the kitchen, make sure you know, basically why, like why you're there and just make sure like, you know how to get back home. Uh, make sure you know the bare bones of the things. I kind of rushed into the stage and didn't really plan everything out. And, you know, it didn't, I ended up getting the ability to extern there. I, I unfortunately couldn't afford living in the city um, and not getting paid that well. But I learned a lot that day. And I was very like excited because I had my first stage be successful. And I was looking forward to seeing what was next in the industry. So I was very excited for that. And that was the story of my first stage. And yeah, I think it was a good time, and I really enjoyed it. So I want to get into the topic of, um, you know, getting taken advantage of, getting taken advantage of in stages, and what, like, what's the, what draws the line for me, and what I think you should do in a stage. So let's start out with like, there's never been a stage I've been on that I've been taking that I feel like I've been taken advantage of. There was one stage in particular that was very. Um, just like morally defeating. And I was at this restaurant uh, a few years later and right out of the gate, they were just rude. I felt like I shouldn't have been there. It was like, it wasn't a Michelin rated restaurant, but I saw there and I just automatically felt like I don't belong. Uh, I think that's the worst thing you can put out as a restaurant is that when there's someone who's potentially coming to work 
and spend probably about 60 hours in your kitchen is to make them feel bad and make them feel like they're not welcome. So when I went to Stasha at this restaurant, it was very much like they were in their own club and they had their own, you know, group going. And I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I would fit in. And, you know, right away, like just asking basic questions, I was yelled at. I was talked to as if me asking a question, you know, infringed on their superiority over me or infringed on their culture of the kitchen. And it really felt like a dictatorship in that restaurant, uh, which obviously I'm not going to say because I respect, you know, restaurants and restaurant workers. And I don't want anyone's job to be demeaned because of my opinion or what I think of a certain restaurant. Anyway, but when I got there, I felt very not taken advantage of, but very just not welcome and not like willing to work. And I remember just thinking, damn, this is like not a good place for me. And that was like within the first 10 minutes. And throughout my stage, it just got worse. I mean, this is when I had a couple more years experience and I was talked to as if I had no experience. And I remember not knowing where uh, to find sanitizer buckets. And the one chef was like, well, like, you're a CIA grad and you don't know where you would, you don't like know where you would find buckets. And I would assume they would be by the sanitizer uh, release, you know, where you get sanitizer fluid from or by the sink. Uh, but they were in a totally separate part of the kitchen. Uh, with like two other things in a cabinet, like a cleaning cabinet, which had no labels. So like, how, and the doors were closed. So how would I have even known to like go there? And you know, that's the type of vibe you got. Just like this very like off-putting type of just very like hate-filled environment where if you weren't good, like you weren't coming into this kitchen. But like, I'm the type of person that looks for more than just being good. I'm the type of person who is like, well, am I going to enjoy my time here? Am I actually going to like want to come to work? And a lot of the cooks I talked to didn't enjoy it. Like, yeah, they were learning a lot. And, yeah, they were maybe having fun at some points. But whenever that chef was around, it was almost like they hated their life. And, you know, that that's what I kind of am against here at Line Cook Thoughts. Uh, that's kind of why I started this, to kind of get away from that in the industry. And so when I was there, I was like, yeah, this isn't the right fit for me. And there was nothing really notable that happened in the stage. Yes, they fed me. Yes, the food was good. Um, but I just remember this over – arching feeling of this chef who just was such a dictator. I mean, like so ego driven. So like I'm in control. And if you have like an issue, like too bad, like get out and like just pacing back and forth across the pass and no emotion on his face. And just totally, man, just totally like in his own head, in his own world. Like, so like just full of ego and full of, I'm better than you and full of you'll never reach my level, not just to me, but to his cooks. I just remember like watching him and being like, I never want to be that guy. And if it means that I don't end up doing this type of food, then so be it. But like, I never just want to be that person who's just stand, like who just thinks that they're too good that no one can ask him questions. I remember one of his cooks who's been there two years asked him a question and he looked at the cook as if they were stupid, as if they don't have the right to inquire about something. And it wasn't even like, how do you do this? It was just a general question about the food or the culture that the food was coming from. So when I saw that, I was like, yo, like this is definitely not the place for me. And that's my biggest warning. Just because a place has good recommendations online or they have awards, or they have accolades. If they accolade that towards you, I highly suggest not going because a, you're not going to enjoy your job. That's my biggest thing. Like, yeah, you might think it's cool for a day, but what if you had to work there for six months? If I had to work there for six months, I definitely would not enjoy my time there. So please like know that when you're staging, it's not just about if a restaurant will take you, but it's also about you taking the restaurant. It's an exchange. It's a relationship. It's more than just one side uh, trying to see like if they're going to fit or not. Like, you are also there to see if you're going to enjoy it and if you're going to be treated fairly and if it meets your standards and expectations. And I think when you go staging, especially when you don't get paid, it almost feels like you lose a lot of your your not privilege, but your ability to control the situation. And I really just want to like say like just try your hardest and make sure you're putting out great work at Astage and being respectful and inquiring and learning. But also note that you are there to work there like for a long period of time. And if you're not going to enjoy the environment on the one day you're there, then you're probably not going to enjoy it uh, for the duration of your working experience. And that's what I really had in my head the whole time at Astage. It was just it was too much. Like God, like there, there's so much like yelling and 
like anger and tension. I could tell the cooks were not like happy. They were had their head downs the whole t- heads down the whole time. Which sure that puts out good food, but like, what does that have to say about the mental health aspect in our industry? Or what does that have to say about people having good lives as cooks? And we want more and more people to go into this profession, and we knock people who maybe don't work as hard in the profession in terms of working themselves to death. But then we want this movement where, you know, cooks have good lifestyles and mental health is something we look at on a professional level. And I remember asking those cooks and it was all stuff they agreed with. Like, oh, what do you think about, you know, the awareness of mental health coming out in the industry and whatnot? Uh, what do you like? like do, do, you, do you think cooks should have more of a, a good environment to work in? I remember asking them when the chef wasn't around. And then like 10 minutes later, after they told me, yes, the chef was giving them this horrible environment to work in. And I just remember thinking, yeah, like, this is why I have to, this is literally why I have to start line cook thoughts because you can't, you can't like preach something and then not live up to it. You know what I mean? So that was a big thing for me is I couldn't work here because of how the cooks were treated. And I don't ever want to eat there because I know what's lurking in the back of the kitchen. And I honestly think that we have to start taking into effect how we view kitchen workers and you know, reading Chef Kwame Onowache's book and hearing the things he had to say about how cooks were treated in some of the top tier restaurants um, in our country, you know, it's kind of appalling. And I'll be honest, I don't think, I don't even, I don't care what stars you're going for. I don't care what awards you're going for. If you get to the point in your career where you're a sous chef or a chef de cuisine and you're literally looking down at other human beings because of your so-called greatness in the culinary industry, and you think the whole industry is owed to you because you paid your dues, and blah, 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 blah. Like, I just don't think you deserve the awards that you might get, because at the end of the day, it's not about your exertion of power over the others. It's about your ability to work as a team and inspire others and get other people to do a great job. I think the one of the biggest things about being a chef is being a leader of other human beings and have uh, having other people look up to you for guidance and structure and support and the willingness to work. And I just really hate the fact that when you go to stage sometimes and you see these kitchens where there's this one overarching dictator chef just doing everything he can to crush everyone so that they'll be quote unquote better. Uh, I just think that's a huge problem in the industry. And I think that leads to a lot of mental health concerns. I think it leads to a lot of addiction issues and no, I know like cooks have their own battles to deal with and it's not always the chef's fault. But think about it. If you have a very stressful life, I mean, you're not getting paid as nearly as much as you should be in a lot of, like, especially fine dining restaurants. So you're always struggling outside of work. And then to come into work into turmoil and know that every day you're going to get your ass kicked, even if you come in with a positive mental attitude and try your best. I mean, like, where's the end result? What's the, what is the end game? Like, what is the, where, where does it switch? Where does it, like, go to being good for you? And that's my issue with, like, the industry in regards to fine dining is that, you get these chefs like I've met on my stage where they're just terrible to their cooks and they're terrible to you. And like I said, they, cause because they are really good at cooking, they think that they have the power to do whatever they want and they get these really big egos and their head explodes and you know, it's their world, it's their kitchen. And when they're at the pass that night, they have the ability to treat you however you want. And I just, I highly disagree with that. And I mean, you know, we all talk about it, but when does it change? When do we start, calling out these big restaurants or these fine dining restaurants on their poor treatment of cooks. I mean, when does that happen? And so I think when you're staging, sorry for going down that rabbit hole, but when you're staging, if you ever feel like you're being taken advantage of, or you're feeling like you're just getting yelled at and belittled because of a chef's ego, maybe that's not the best place for you. And there's a difference. If a place is constructively throwing things at you and putting you in awkward situations in terms of your ability to problem solve and work, that's what I look for in a stage. But if you're just getting belittled to see if you can make it in the kitchen, or you're getting insulted to see if you're tough enough to survive in this chef's ego-driven kitchen, then maybe that's not the best place for you. And maybe you shouldn't even continue your stage. Uh, there was one stage, you know, that there was one stage where, which was that stage that I almost walked out because the chef was just so rude to me and so, just so unwelcoming and the cooks around him just acted like it was okay. I mean, I could see some of the cooks like smiling and like, these were the same cooks who I asked later on, like, do you, how do you think cooks should be treated? And I just remember leaving that stage and not even wanting an email response back and not even caring if I made it in that kitchen or not. Um, I know I did pour there because I just wasn't into it. I, after being belittled and being told that I wasn't like good enough 
uh, multiple times by the chef and just like his whole acting as if it was just his empire and he ruled it with an iron fist. I did not care if I even got the job there. So I feel like if you get those experiences, just like stick up for yourself and know your self-worth and know that you don't have to stay the whole time, especially if you're getting treated terribly. Uh, that's my advice on, you know, not getting taken advantage of. And that's my advice on what a poor stage is. Uh, now I kind of want to talk, talk to you about a stage I had, which was really good, but uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of good stages when you are in this industry, but they might not be the right fit in terms of what you're looking for outside of work. So this stage was also a really highly successful restaurant I went to and they were in the middle of nowhere. And as soon as I got there, I automatically knew I wasn't going to stage or work there because I would never be able to live in the location they were in. Uh, it was just such a dead area around it. Like I didn't even have cell, for, cell phone service. I remember my anxiety being high because I had little sleep and I was driving and I had barely any GPS, no way of contacting anyone, contacting anyone in my whole, in my whole ride there. I was like, Oh my God, what if I like go off the road or like, what if I need some help? Like my phone like literally can't make calls. Um, so luckily like I, it was only like a straight shot into the town where the restaurant is. Uh, but the whole time the stage was great. I mean, they fed me amazing food and I got to see a lot of cool things and they entrusted me on going on to each station and plating. And that's also an important thing with staging. Uh, the ability for a restaurant to at least let you get your hands on some food, even though if they're, even if they're like an extremely high fine dining establishment, if you're able to at least touch some food so they can see how you work with food and whatnot, I think that's really cool and important. I really think letting a stage plate a dish is super important because it just lets you, uh, it lets you, you know, it lets the restaurant see how you plate, but also gives you a feel on exactly what you'll be doing at the time and place. So I really think that's a cool concept of letting stagiaires plate dishes, even in high-finding restaurants, even if the dish doesn't go out. Maybe they plate the dish, and then maybe that's what they get the taste. But I think at least plating a dish or getting your hands on some food is important, and I think that's what makes a good stage. But getting back to the story is that I worked at this kitchen for 12 hours, and I literally, after the end of the shift, drove an hour and a half back to my hotel room because I was supposed to be staying there. But instead, I just drove the hour and a half back because my anxiety was so high of just being out in this place, um, not having any food to eat because there was literally nothing around. Uh, being so hungry, like I probably just drove because I was hungry. But I just remember like thinking, this is gonna be my drive every night. Like I'm gonna be working at this restaurant, and the nearest town's like 20 minutes away, and I don't want to be driving on a pitch black country road after 13, 14 hour services, being extremely tired and not having any way to reach anybody. And that was a big time in my life where I was like, whoa, like, it's not just about the kitchen. It's about your lifestyle outside of the kitchen. It's about where you're, where you want to live and what you like in an area. And so maybe that the area isn't the right fit for you. And that's another big piece of advice I can give you is make sure wherever you're going to be living is the right fit. Because if you don't feel comfortable in that area, like I said before, uh, you're going to have a hard time actually enjoying work because you're always going to be stressed out about the area you live in. So that's another big big piece of advice I can give you on what to bring to a stage. I would always ask what the dress code is. Um, usually it's like black pants, black shoes and a white shirt. That seems to be the general uh, consensus for most restaurants. You can also get uniforms there from the restaurant themselves. Um, but yeah, and your knife kit, I would just have basic things like a peeler, a chef's knife, maybe a boning knife, um, Sharpies, pens, an apron, rubber spatulas, wooden spatulas, you know, just have a general knife kit, but I wouldn't bring like everything you own. Um, I wouldn't bring like your toolbox or I wouldn't bring a full, like four compartment bag of every single knife for your own. Like restaurants aren't looking for you to see what your knife collection is. And I've seen a lot of stages because when I go on these stages, there's usually someone else there and they will like unfold their knife bag in this very dramatic way. And they're showing off their corn knives and just everything else, which is nice, but like they only end up using one or two knives. And I think there's something to be said for the minimalistic approach when you go to a stage. So definitely like a Sharpie, definitely a peeler, definitely a chef's knife, definitely a steel to hone your chef's knife, a bony knife. Barber's spatula is a big one because the chef that shows that you're going to scrape out every last inch of the food you're making, which saves them money in the long run. And you're not just throwing it away. And like my biggest thing is a notebook. Uh, always make sure you have a pocket notebook on you. Uh, since day one, when Chef Cerrone and Fundies was teaching me, having a pocket notebook is so important. You have to, it shows that you care. And for me, I always write things down when I'm at stages, even if it's something small, like how to plate a dish that I might not ever plate again. 
because it shows that I cared and ingrains in my mind. Like if they ever ask me to plate that dish, like on command, like I am able to have like sort of a frame of reference for it. So pocket notebook is the number one thing for me. And that's basically what I would bring is like your general knife kit with your knives and whatnot, but a pocket notebook. And if you have a business card, that doesn't, that always doesn't hurt because yes, most restaurants are just looking for another able body, but it shows that you're, if you have business cards, I think it shows that you care a little bit more about what you're doing and you take yourself more seriously. And it shows that you take pride in your work and who you are as a person. And that's a big part of being able to, you know, fight for what rights you want in the kitchen and be able to take advantage of the benefits a kitchen can have if you put yourself out there. And lastly, I would like to say on stashes is it's always okay to negotiate, especially when you go to these fine dining restaurants, like you're going to get paid a little amounts. So why not negotiate for an extra dollar of work if you're going into fine dining or if you're going into like a larger uh, group, like it's okay to like have open conversations about what you want. Like at the end of the day, if they're a good employer, they're going to, they're going to ask you what you're looking for in like, in a chef leader, um, where you want to live. Like those are all important things. And if a restaurant doesn't ask me, like, what do I think of the surrounding area about living wise, ask me if I've looked into, into apartments or stuff, you know, just have a, they, they don't seem to have a general interest on if I'll like life outside of work. It's usually a big red flag for me that they really don't care about, you know, necessarily what you're like, here to obtain, but they just need help or they just want another able body. So I think it's very important for restaurants to, take a general interest. Maybe they don't ask you about the area that you're going to be living in, but they ask you maybe what you do outside of work or what, like I said, what you look for in a leadership team. But if they're just like throwing you into the kitchen to see how you work and then that's it. Like maybe that's not the place that you're going to find really fulfilling in terms of seeing your worth and seeing you as more than just a cook. So those are just some advices I have. I hope you've enjoyed my stories on staging. I have had some really spectacular stages. Like I said, I'm not going to name really anywhere, but I have gone to some pretty, high-end like Michelin restaurants and I've enjoyed most of them besides that one stage where the chef was like a dictator like everything else has been really well even my first stage where I got yelled at in the walk-in uh that's chef de cuisine or that sous chef ended up being really nice to me and giving me some awesome food that night and I've had a blast and my only other big piece of advice is the stage during a uh, white truffle season um I did three stages during white truffle season in my life and every single stage I got to have some free white truffles and that's been the only time I've gone to eat white truffles. So if there's a, spe- a special season you want to go to and you know the restaurant is going to be serving those types of foods, I mean, that's a great way to try new food. At the end of the day, staging is a great way to try uh, maybe some of the restaurants you don't, you didn't think you would be able to try before. Uh, one restaurant was so hospitable enough that they shave white truffles on every single dish that it pertained to. Like if you were able to get a supplement on that, dish with white truffles they just did that for me for free and i ended up getting like a five course tasting menu and i remember eating it on the back in one of the stations and i just loved it it was so cool because i was eating a chef's meal but there was white truffles on the plate and whatnot it was just a blast so that's my last bit of advice on staging if you get to go during white truffle season ultimately you're probably going to get some truffles so i really think that um that's an important thing uh and lastly just be open-minded when you go to a stage be able to be guided be able to be taught be fluid and be able to just put your ego aside and learn new systems. Never say like, oh, we did it at my restaurant this way, so I'm going to do it this way. Uh, the reason why you're able to build a team with other cooks is, is because they trust you and most likely they've taught you something. One big thing that I've learned is that allowing someone to teach you something gives them a lot of pride, which in turn makes them want to see you succeed because at some point, eventually you're going to be like, hey, you taught me that, remember? And you're going to be successful. And when that person who taught you looks at you and knows that in some way they've helped you achieve your goals and succeed, that's going to give them such immense pride. And that's how teamwork comes into play in the terms of working in restaurants and kitchens and getting along with everyone. So if you're able to put your pride aside and just not let ego distract you from learning and being a part of the team and wanting to be there and wanting to introduce yourself to everyone and showing that you actually care about the employees around you and you're just not there on some self-fulfilling you know, prophecy of getting three stars like I thought I was at some point, you'll definitely get more out of your stage. And even if you don't get the job or even if it's not the right fit, it will be a memorable time because you had a positive experience because you were able to learn some new techniques. You're able to learn some new skills. You're able to meet some new people. Um, I've met some really cool connections and I've learned a lot of new techniques and I've, my mind's been opened up a lot more about food 
combinations do a staging. So, and I've seen a lot of different cool ingredients. So definitely I think staging is worth it, but always be careful to not be taken advantage of and always know your worth when going into, into a stage and just know it's okay to walk away if things get too deep in terms of like someone harassing you or belittling you and know it's okay to know that you're not going to be working there. But even if you know you're not going to be working there, enjoy the time you have there because then that's just one more kitchen you get to see for a day. Just soak it all in. Even if you know you might not take the job if they offer it to you, just soak it all in and let the experience ring true to you and just really have a good time. That's my advice on staging. I hope you all have enjoyed. I would really love to hear your uh, thoughts and opinions on it. And let me know in the Instagram DMs, and I look forward to hearing your stories about staging. All right, the next topic I wanted to get into uh, was about music in the kitchen and my personal experience with it and what I think about in terms of listening to music when prepping and whatnot. And I want to start off by saying music helps me prep. I don't ever think music should be playing all in service. I think in service you're in a different mindset and you have to be attuned with the rest of your team. You have to know what time, like in terms of putting up plates, you have to know when the other plates are going to go up. You have to know if someone needs help or is calling out for something. So I think in times of service there's so much sound and just hecticness going on that I don't think music adds any value, and I think it actually takes away from the overall performance of a kitchen staff in service. But in terms of playing music during prep, I have found that music helps me a lot. Uh, The reason music helps me a lot is because when I'm listening to music and doing repetitive tasks, I'm able to just, I think, focus more. Because when you do a repetitive task, at least for me, like when you're peeling an onion multiple times, you're chopping something multiple times, my mind starts to wander and I start to think about different things because that repetition gets to me. And I don't know if anyone else is like this. I don't know if you all experience the similar things, but when I start to do things over and over and over again, I start to think about things outside of work like life and, oh, I have to pay this bill or I have to do uh, go and run this errand. And pretty soon you're not doing consistent knife cuts and whatnot and you kind of just lose track of everything. Uh, I just, my mind runs a thousand miles an hour and that's kind of how I think and how I kind of I guess work in a kitchen sometimes is I can get distracted easily in terms of my own thoughts uh, so having music kind of keeps me in tune because I'm listening to the music and I'm just really enjoying the task because I'm listening to the, my favorite music and I'm just getting engaged and I'm really um, putting my best work in and I notice that I get a lot more done when I'm listening to music in the kitchen and yeah I think music in the kitchen is important during prep times I think oh, in my own experiences it helps overall efficiency productivity and it just gives a different vibe when you're just like in a quiet kitchen working and not being just, like, and you're just like not listening to music. I think it throws it off. Uh, I've been in stages on Michelin kitchens where they've listened to a lot of music. Uh, and I've been to stages in Michelin kitchens with the equal amount of stars who are dead quiet. And I think it all just depends on the chef and how they kind of came up in kitchens. I know there's a lot of kitchens, probably the best kitchens in the world are like, you know, very quiet and serious, but I think some, Music allows uh, a more diverse amount of creativity in terms of what actually gets done. And maybe not even music the whole shift that the chef doesn't want, but in terms of those repetitive tasks, I feel it helps a lot. And I think having no music during service is important because, like I said, you need to be able to be focused in on what the chef is saying. At the end of the day, you have to be like focus on your expediter and how food's going out and when food needs to be put up. And I think when you have music, it can be kind of distracting. Uh, sometimes when I'm working and I can hear the music from the dining room, uh, that can be distracting for me too. So I really like don't like music during service. I think it's uh, a big downfall uh, in my mind for when I'm working. You know, obviously that could, it changes for everyone, and you all have you can have your own opinions about it. Um, but for me personally, I just don't think that it's necessarily a good thing to have. Um, but I do find that my mood improves about repetitive tasks in the kitchen, and I'm able to get through my prep list a lot quicker when music's involved. I'm not sure if it's like a placebo effect. I'm not sure if I actually do. I've never actually been able to study it, but there was a uh, study out of the University of Windsor in Canada, and it basically said that the reason music helps isn't because of necessarily the beat and it makes you go faster or whatnot, and there are studies that have shown that I've read that like correlate between the beat of the music and how fast you go. But the overall assumption being what they've noticed when coming to terms of like what music does in terms of helping through repetitive tasks is that it boosts the mood of whoever's doing the task. And when their mood is boosted, they're more likely to be more energetic and enthusiastic about the work they're doing. 
which leads to, more, to a more productive and efficient uh, worker. So I really think that study is something interesting to look up. It's the University of Windsor, Canada, from out of Canada. Just look up um, repetitive tasks. And then uh, definitely I would look up this uh, excerpt out of the book Applied Ergonomics. And they did a study that said that efficiency is raised when competing with other noises. Uh, so when you have music and there's a lot going on in the kitchen during prep and there's like pans scraping and the oven doors are flying open and just there's all this surrounding sound, music even then helps because it kind of takes that noise and puts it aside and allows you to focus on the task at hand. And I think that's a super important thing in terms of when you're working in a kitchen. I mean, it's important to be able to hear everything going on. I don't think music should be blasting, but they found that even when there's all that noise, music is able to kind of go through all of that, cut through all of that and keep you focused. And yes, you're going to be able to hear those things like maybe a, a pot of cream starting to bubble over or maybe something burning because you hear it like sizzling too hot. But if there's music in the background, they found that the workers are more efficient in total and put out better work. This isn't based on a kitchen worker. This is based on, you know, like repetitive tasks in factories with loud machines and whatnot. So, I mean, a kitchen's loud, but not as loud as some of the factories that the studies were done in. But you can find that in Applied Ergonomics, the book. Uh, and then the last thing I kind of thought was interesting is coming out of Columbia College. It was a thesis from a student, and they did a, a test on students in the fourth grade. And the fourth grade, grade class was having a lot of negative um, actions by the fourth graders, like just not a lot of interest in homework or work in class and you know, they were feeling sluggish and not a lot of energy, and it just wasn't an energetic classroom. And what they found that over time through playing music, the students got better test scores, they were more efficient in class, got a lot more work done, and they were able to just perform better. And I know it's the big difference between an adult working in the kitchen and a fourth grader, but I think even at an early age, music helps us become more efficient and helps us get on the right track. So I really, you know, think that in the long run music can have a positive impact um i just want to also say that my, like what i listen to in terms of music when i'm prepping is a lot of hip-hop uh i really love logic if you know if you know me you know that i love logic obviously eminem kendrick lamar j cole those that's the type of stuff i listen to during music uh, a lot of queen gets me hyped during music or, or during prep when i'm doing repetitive tasks and it, just a lot of um a lot of high energy stuff i like a lot of electronic music and sometimes a little bit of like the Saturn music as well. Uh, but I really just like high energetic music or music with a lot of passion in it. Like when I'm listening to Queen and Fred, Freddie Mercury is singing like those crazy vocals and you can tell he's putting all of it, all of his heart into the song. Like that gets me to want to put all of my heart into the task at hand. I don't know if anyone else is like that, but when I, but when I hear an artist putting their passion into the music while I'm prepping, it just makes me want to do the best job I can because they're, doing the best job they can to offer me the best music they can put out. So I don't know. That's just a cool kind of, uh, I guess, link that I have between music and prepping and what I look for in a, I guess, playlist, if I would call it, for working in the kitchen. Maybe I'll create a playlist. I don't want to seem like I'm a true cook's knockoff with the playlist they've created, which I thought was really cool. But maybe I'll give you some songs that I thought are kind of cool to listen to while prepping. That's my thoughts on music in the kitchen. Let me know in the Instagram DMs or wherever else you want to reach me. And yeah, thank you so much for uh, sharing that. So before we get into the line cook thoughts segment of the show, I just want to talk a little bit about foraging since spring is my favorite time to be cooking because of the uh, abundance of ingredients and kind of like just everything you're able to get in spring. Uh, so for me, spring is that time of the year when everything comes back to life. I know it's kind of cliche to say, but really for cooks, it's the truth. Like a lot of our favorite ingredients come back you know we've been waiting a year since they've been gone or maybe not a year we've been waiting a good amount of time though since the ingredients have passed and i always love spring because of morels and ramps and fiddleheads and asparagus and just everything else that you can think of that comes out in spring i just think it's such an abundant uh year especially when you like i said grow up in a place like i did in buffalo where we have such harsh winters when you kind of get that fresh vegetable growing season or fresh foraging season back in again, you're able to do so much more in terms of creativity and cooking. So I really think that spring is my favorite time of the year for that. I also love spring because I like to go to the markets. Uh, it's For me, like I said, growing up in a cold climate, you don't usually go to the markets when it's negative 10 degrees out. So the market comes back in the spring 
And I get to go see all the farmers and all the local produce and all the local vendors and the cool like coffee shops that are pitching tents in the markets to sell their coffee in the little bakery stands and just everything. I just think spring is such a cool season as a chef. And I think you appreciate it, appreciate it so much more when you're ingrained in the food industry because of the ability it has to promote or at least give out such beautiful dishes. Uh, I remember one time I went to eat in the spring at one of my friend's restaurants. Uh, my chef Cody, actually, I've shared him on the Instagram before. And I remember this farmer or this forager walked in with these black trumpet mushrooms that he just got out of Allegheny, and uh, which is a, a part of New York State. And he literally walked in the back like as I was dining in the restaurant. And literally 15 minutes later, they were on my plate. It was amazing. They were some of the best mushrooms I've ever tasted. It was the first time I had black trumpet mushrooms. I mean, like, just stuff like that doesn't happen really in the winter. And that's why I just love spring dining so much. That's why I think it's such a cool time to be a chef and a cook. And, yeah, I mean, I want to do more of this topic in later episodes. But spring, for me, is here because I see ramps, people getting ramps and whatnot. I haven't been able to go foraging yet, but I really hope I get to go before the season, you know, starts to come to a close, um, at least for something. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just really enjoy spring, and I really just love – seeing chefs who forage it's very inspiring for me to see chefs go out and collect their own food and it really is a special time um to kind of just take a step back and look at everything that's going on and just seeing what people look for like chanterelles and fiddleheads and everything else um it's really cool and yeah if if you have a favorite foraged item i'm going to put it up on instagram later i'd love to share those in the next podcast or just explain why spring is your favorite time of the year if it is your favorite time of the year as a cook I just don't think there's a lot more times of the year than like in May, April, May, and June where you can really just go all out because of the creativity in terms of foraged foods coming back to life. So that's my thoughts on, uh, you know, just foraging in general. And my first time foraging was with that chef, Cody Castiglia, who was a big mentor of mine in the early part of my getting into culinary school and getting into a professional kitchen. I remember um, we went to the spot, so he knew, like, foraging for me is always cool. It's always, like, you have to know someone who knows a guy, who knows a girl, who knows a spot that has someone who knows another spot. It's, like, like the secret type thing. So we went with um, these two other people, and Cody's friend's mom knew the location from a chef in Buffalo, who knew the location from a cousin who used to live on the place. So it was about 45 minutes outside of the city of Buffalo, and we get to this place, and as we're walking in, one of Buffalo's most well-known chefs is walking out of the same place. And it was just cool. It was like, oh, wow, like, this isn't just us. Because at the time when we were going to forage, I was, like, new to me. And I was like, I never, like, like I just, like, a year ago, I never even thought of eating a ramp. I didn't know what a ramp was. And, like, going into this forest to pick my own food, I was like, this seems kind of dangerous. And here comes a chef with, like, a good amount of ramps and some mushrooms and fiddleheads out of this, like, forested area and it was just like oh so this is like something other people do uh, i thought it was really cool it was like an exclusive moment to just know this one spot and we got there and we uh there was a crap ton of ramps just everywhere and i remember uh cody's friend's mom saying you know take a little bit from this part take a little bit from this part we're not going to just demolish the area and there was a really big mindfulness of sustainable sustainably taking the ramps and foraging them properly and not having a huge impact on the landscape. So I thought that was really important. I thought it was really cool that we had that respect. And I just thought, wow, this is something special to be able to just go find this ingredient that only happens this one time. And I remember we went back and Cody and I pickled a bunch of them. He taught me how to pickle them. We made a pesto out of the tops. Um, I think we grilled the bottoms and we made like this chimichurri with the tops and like grilled the bottoms with steak. And it was like a really simple dinner, but it was so delicious because we had just gotten that food that day. And there are fiddleheads on there, and it's just amazing. And I really enjoyed going to forage, and I think it's so cool when chefs do it. And, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to share that little story with you and hope if you've never been foraging and you're in the industry to go forage once, just ask someone. A lot of chefs are open to doing it. Maybe they won't tell you where they have their favorite spots, but they'll take you to somewhere where you know you'll get something. And I just hope at some point you all get the experience uh, that I had in terms of foraging and having one of your mentors take you out. It's really a special experience. And if you're a cook, it's, I think, quintessential to have. All right, y'all. So at the end of my podcast, I always shout out some line cook thoughts that I really enjoyed from the week before. And these are just some thoughts that you have shared with me that I thought were really cool and I wanted to share. 
So this first one is from At Sweets by Stephanie, and she says, I enjoy the adrenaline of the savory kitchen and the quietness of the pastry kitchen. Cooking is an art and a part of history. That's why I love being a chef. I really agree with this because what we're cooking now is going to be a part of history down the road. Like People are going to look back and see the new, the movement of Nouvelle Cuisine and the movement from chefs like Rene Rezepi as like an enlightened part of cooking. And I'm not sure in 200 years we'll have the same amount of care for cooking. You never know what's going to happen. But I think we, have, we hold a very special part of history where we really just upped our game in terms of what we eat and mindfulness of what we put into our bodies. And I think it's very interesting to think that you're going to be a part of something bigger that people are going to look back on and be like, wow, like they really like took food to the next level and it was very important for them to have this sort of artistic freedom. So thank you for sharing that. This is this next one's from a, a small business. It's a Char's Kitchen and Catering. And they say the sound of silence and the head nod after the first bite. That's why I continue to kill my feet and back on a daily basis. This is so true. Like to have someone just take that first bite and you automatically know they love it and you automatically know that you did a good job and that the plate of food you put out really just stuck with them and gave them that experience they've been looking for. I, I just love this quote. I love the idea that, you know, you put in 11 to 12 hour days and you're just, you know, grinding every single day. But at the end of the day, it's about feeding people and getting to see that and getting to see that satisfaction is really what drives a lot of cooks. And I think it's just a great sentiment to put out there. This next one's from at a cop 47. And they say, be true to yourself, take your time, and love what you're doing in the time that you're doing it. I said this before, but like the biggest thing for me in cooking and in my career is patience. Having the patience to know that I'm not going to be the best chef overnight, I'm not going to be the best leader overnight, and that I have to be patient and take my time and really just focus on like the little skills so that at the end, the bigger picture comes together. Um, I know there's been a lot of times in my you know young career where I've been like, well, like, I'm not patient right now. I want to get this done. I want to get going. I want to get moving. And I just don't want to wait around for everything to happen. And you have to be persistent, but patient. That's what Thomas Keller says. I'm pretty sure he says be patient, yet persistent. But I think that's so true. Just, like, be patient and, you know, let things come into play. Um, but also love what you're doing and the time you're doing it. And make sure you're making the most of the time you have in this industry. This last quote is by At Roasting the Beast. And they say, the kitchen is about being a part of a team, an undivided unit. Be strong together or crumble. Sometimes all you need is a little bit of family to get you through the rough patches. That's what I love about the kitchen. I see my family every day. This is really cool because when you're in a kitchen, this it really is your family. And if you don't like, if you don't have that unity or that feeling that you're there helping each other and you're able to rely on each other and be there for each other, you know, it falls apart and it doesn't end up lasting. It's not sustainable. You really have to have a connection with the people you're working with. And I just love the idea of this quote that, you know, a team that like fails like together, like, or like succeeds together, like at least you're together. Like and that team that isn't together fails and crumbles and isn't as successful. And I just love the idea of that. And I just love the thought that, you know, making sure that team, that the team is the top priority is important. There's a lot of chefs who can, you know, get their egos, you know, inflated. Like the chef, when I went to that stage and they don't really think about others as a reliable resource. And maybe it's because at some point in their career, they were treated poorly, but at the end of the day, teammates are your best friends. They're the people that are going to have to help you out in tough times, especially when you're in the weeds. And you need to rely on the other cooks in the kitchens and realize that a kitchen doesn't just run on one person. It runs on the collective. And when you focus on that, uh, you really end up being successful. So thank you for sharing that quote. That's pretty much it for the podcast. Um, thank you so much for tuning in this week to listen. I hope your service goes really well this week. And just a reminder on the Anthony Bourdain episode, please submit your quotes or why you love Anthony by May 29th. I really think it's special what we're doing as a line cook nation in terms of sharing that with the rest of the world. And yeah, I know you're all busy, but if you could just take the five minutes it's going to take to do that, it would mean a ton. Uh, thank you so much as usual for listening. Like I said, if you're new to this podcast, this is what you can expect. Uh, every Wednesday I do a solo episode and every Sunday I do an interview. Um, and yeah, I'm just very excited for what's to come and the guests to come on. And I'm just really looking forward to everything that's happening with the podcast. Thank you so much, Line Cook Nation. And as always, check out LineCookThoughts.com for your official Line Cook Thoughts merch. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. 
FX is the Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is the Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Just a reminder on the Anthony Bourdain Collaborative. Feel free to go into the Anchor app, download the Anchor app, the podcasting app. It's free to use. Look up Line Cook Thoughts. Leave me a voice message message in the top, and let's get this podcast episode going. Also, if you're looking to rep Line Cook Nation merchandise, feel free to head on over to LineCookThoughts.com. That's LineCookThoughts.com for some official Line Cook Nation merchandise. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.